Welcome back to Teaching Matters, the University of Edinburgh's hub for discussing, promoting and showcasing teaching and learning across the university. We're a website, blog, podcast and most importantly, a small group of people passionate about conversations surrounding teaching and learning. This episode is the first of a two-part conversation about podcasting and education. featuring Dr. Emily O'Reilly and alumnus Andrew Strankman from the School of Biomedical Sciences. Emily and Andrew's long-standing interest in podcasting and pedagogy recently culminated in a research project funded by the Principals Teaching Award scheme. Their project examined a handful of online MSc programs in science education, assessing how students from across time zones, cultures, and continents responded to the integration of supplementary podcasts into their online learning ecosystems. In today's conversation, facilitated by Teaching Matters alumnus Eric Berger, Emily and Andrew discuss the specifics of their fascinating project, from origins to methods to results. Attending to how podcasting can revitalize how we exchange knowledge in the classroom, Emily and Andrew illuminate how the many possibilities of the podcast form can help increase not only educational quality but also as Emily puts it educational equality so without further ado here's a podcast on podcasts with Emily Andrew and Eric hello and welcome Thank you both for being here with me today. I'm Eric Berger, mathematics and statistics student and the host of the Teaching Matters podcast. I'd like to allow you guys to introduce yourselves. My name is Dr. Emily O'Reilly. I'm a teaching fellow here at the university. I teach on the global health and infectious disease online MSc masters and also the international uh, animal health online MSc masters and I have a, a keen and ongoing interest in podcasting for education. Hello, I'm Andrew Strangman. I'm a former graduate student in the uh, Global Health and Infectious Disease program at the University of Edinburgh. I was drawn to this project because of uh, my interest in education as an educator myself. I'm from California, the United States, and here in California, I am a uh, educator of community college students. Thank you very much. So I thought that a nice place for us to start might be if you guys could discuss how the project was set up, what your aims were, and what in general drew you to conducting research on podcasts as an education tool. Well, I'd be happy to open with that one. I applied for the Principals Teaching Awards scheme, so PTAS funding, to undertake a project to understand a little bit more about what our students on the global health and infectious disease so the GHID and the international animal health so the IAH students thought about podcasts I'd utilize them previously across a number of different courses for which I'm a course organizer and I thought it would be a really good idea to get a better handle on what students thought about these podcasts and understand them a little bit more because there's not actually much information in the literature on student perceptions of podcasts and just sort of internally i just wanted to know what our students thought about them so i got the ptas project and i was then very fortunate to um have andrew express interest in the project as a final year ghid student um because of his educational background as well it was a perfect match um and he you know was really interested in the area as well educationally and specifically with regard to sort of i guess the life sciences and global health so that was perfect and that was really how the project was conceived Yeah, poor Emily. She sent out a notification or a call for interest in the project and I wasn't actually a final year student yet. I was I still had one more year and I was sent out this email begging and pleading and said, "Please, Emily, can you can you put me in this project?" She goes, "Oh my gosh." Then she had to go through all this paperwork to get it extended just for me to do it. So I'm I'm eternally grateful for that. But I think the the program GHID is really unique in that it spans the globe. There are students from just kind of everywhere. and so that means students from low income backgrounds high income backgrounds everything in between and so it's a really unique opportunity to explore perception on a single item from a lot of different vantage points so i think that that was something for me that was really interesting i work in an area that's a low socioeconomic background area students are traditionally 
um, underserved. So to me, when I saw that, I'm, oh my gosh, it's a really great opportunity to sort of see what some of those details are and kind of see how that same product can have an effect on students of different backgrounds. Yeah, no, it was definitely, a, it, it's a really interesting area because podcasts have really sort of gained traction. I think over the last 10 years, they've been around since the sort of sort of conception of recording information and disseminating it. But even though, I think it's really interesting that even though our sort of technical ability to sort of stream live videos, live lectures, despite all these advancements, people are still really keen on podcasts. And I think they're really underutilized in education, particularly online programs where they offer I guess a diversity of educational materials you've got written materials you've got recorded lectures you've got all these different things but actually podcasts are, are really good they're really they, they they tick a lot of boxes because you've got a lot of these students who may be working and living in what would be considered a resource poor area or very low income countries and things like the internet connectivity can be problematic even electricity can be intermittent at times and having an educational resource that can be downloaded and listened to offline if necessary offers those students a way of I think that maintains sort of educational um, equality really Um, so people other particular students from particular areas are not going to be prohibited from accessing same materials as everyone else from a teaching perspective, they also offer a really quick and easy way to record information and share it with your students who might be at distance from you, both in terms of sort of geographical distance, but also they might be working in an asynchronous fashion. So they're quite straightforward from a technical perspective to record and to edit and to upload into the educational platform that you might be using such as learn blackboard and yeah they just give a great variety for students to listen to and i know we might be going on in sort of subsequent discussions to discuss different types of educational podcasts but they also enable you to talk to someone else a little bit like what we're doing now and that conversational dialogue is really valuable for students it it just taps into something else I think sort of in in your brain I think you just kind of learn things a little bit more when you hear about two people having a discussion about something as opposed to um, you just reading it or you just listening to a a, a monologue it's much it's nicer to 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 have people sort of interacting together having a bit of banter as well sometimes I think is quite good and it kind of I also think that touches on the area of of an end of a lecture I like to think like at the end of a lecture when people stick up the hand and they talk to the lecturer and they might have a little bit of banter a little bit of chat a few jokes and that's very hard to kind of capture that important that in fact that, that's a very important part of education it's, it's sort of the things that we remember when we were face-to-face lectures and I think that can be captured quite nicely in podcasts in, in a way that maybe recorded lectures can't be in, in which recorded lectures don't quite capture that as well so yeah to, to piggyback on what Emily was saying honestly that connection uh, I feel like I feel like there's more and more programs that are offering online education distance education to reach individuals and you know mid-career individuals individuals who are doing whatever it is that prevents them from attending a traditional university class and to provide opportunities to connect those students, not only to the material better, because, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, go read a book. You know, I could go to the store and buy a textbook and I'm sure it would be great fun to read several hundred pages of textbook and that, that's sarcasm there, that's not true. But I think it's, it's great to be able to provide multimedia tools to allow students to hear you and to see you, especially in the, the lens of an educator. Your, your goal is to share your knowledge and what shared your passion to those students to make them interested in material. And if you have a way to create a learning environment for them to make them feel welcome and connected to their peers, you're more likely to get engagement, you're more likely to get retention of information, and just a positive experience overall. I mean, I love to learn, but if it's going to be fun while I learn too, or if I'm going to see varied perspectives, so podcasts where there's uh, banter between individuals, as Emily mentioned, is, is wonderful because you can see almost the gears clicking in different people's minds. And maybe, you know, your perspective is participant B and maybe participant A has something that maybe triggers a different thought in your mind. So I think all around, it's it's a, an area that should be explored. And plus, the relevance of them culturally is huge now. I feel like everyone has a podcast. Make some good money, have a podcast. No. <laughs> 
but yeah, I think it's great for like science education. I mean, it's been a huge area or even on Twitter, you know, you have everyone sort of tweeting their podcasts that they do every week. So it's great for educationally for science, for, for public information as well, like you know, for science communication to get your, you know, your, even your own research out there. Um, a lot of research labs, a lot of research organizations now have their own podcasts, which is great. And again, you're just kind of harnessing the, the you know, you're, you're taking the opportunity to just question or your, or your visiting lecturers there's like instant podcasts and again they can be sort of harvested as well for educational purposes i i love all of that as a as a student at the university of edinburgh i've done a lot of work on the side regarding student mental health and something that is just a theme that always pops up is cultivating belonging at university being so important towards positive mental health so I think it's very interesting to think of podcasts as this way for distance learners to kind of cultivate belonging and get that more informal colloquial education. I also think just touching as anecdotally as my experiences as a student, I find that I get the most anxious towards my own learning whenever that learning is set up in an incredibly formal way because I get this kind of fixed mentality toward I need to learn this exactly the way in which it's presented when my better knowledge knows that we all have different learning styles and everything. So that's what's always kind of attracted to me to podcasts is that hearing people just talk about something is such a less intimidating form. So I'm, I'm really glad that you guys got to touch on that and everything. What you were saying there about um, listening as well, and I, I, mean, I don't know the sort of the psychology underpinning it but certainly auditory learning listening to things is really important and it's a it's a great way to learn and I think when you touched on as well there about like student satisfaction and I think one of the biggest issues with online learning is attrition rates mm. um, and you can really improve that if you have students that are engaged that are listening to you that see you as a person you know online discussion boards are great forums are great to engage with people but having people like listen to you and you know sharing sort of what's going on in the world is great one of the things I haven't done yet that I've almost thought about doing as well is actually having like a weekly introduction podcast to some of my courses I wonder whether just saying hi welcome to week one this week we're going to do this and, da, da, da. and I think sometimes I, want, I know there has been studies that have been done on that in terms of welcoming students to an area and I guess making it real making it you know and also it can be listened to completely asynchronous as well so students don't have to log on at a certain time to see a live lecture or a live welcome they can just hit the button and press play and because they're easier to produce and edit and record and upload that can be done by educators quite readily on a weekly basis it's really not that difficult yeah, Eric, I, I think something that you touched on in there is, is almost like a, a barrier, like there's a barrier to success for some students in that if material is presented in a way that it's like, you need to learn all these terms, you need to know them this way and that way, there's, there's almost this anxiety that's associated with it to some students. I don't know, that's something I've observed. And to be able to feel that the material is more approachable is, it's a lot less stressful, it's a lot less of an undertaking to a student. And that even ties back into what Emily was mentioning about attrition rates. You know, if you just see this giant wall of text and it's got all these heavy duty terminologies in it and you're like, I've got to memorize this and then I'm going to have another one next week and it's going to be the same over and over and over again. It makes it really easy for someone to become disenfranchised with the process and just, you know what, I'm good. I'm going to, I'm going to cut my losses and take off. So podcasts are kind of a, a nice way to keep that connection strong. And, and Emily mentioned something in their asynchronous. I think that's something that's really been touched a lot on during the last couple of years, uh, because of the fact that there was a switch in most, if not all instruction from in-person to online. So how do you keep someone engaged when they're scheduled, which would be a synchronous type of instruction versus switching to asynchronous where they just kind of do everything at their own pace. So you still kind of have to confine it because you have to be able to produce you know, a weekly podcast. So it's still somewhat relevant. You don't wanna just reuse podcast week one introductions from five years ago hey, look, here's me on vacation or something, you know, new vacation, something to show them. But you also want to be able to, to keep, it, keep it moving. Absolutely, absolutely. In my understanding of the project, you kind of, please correct me on this, you separated 
the students into three groups, low income, low to medium income and high income or from those associated countries. I would be like interested to hear about your findings, like which findings were distinct in certain income groups and which findings did you find to be universal amongst different groups? Well, the GHID program is, as we mentioned earlier, is a broad program, right? It touches country, well, and this wasn't even just GHID. There was also students from IAH as well. And so you, you have all these students from around the world, but the problem is the programs themselves are not heavily enrolled. They're somewhat smaller class sizes. So because of that, there's a certain level of you know, data protection and anonymity that has to be provided for students. So one of the ways that we could provide questionnaires to students was to break them down, not by what country they lived in, but by what the relative income level of their country was. So we ended up trying to group them by what World Bank classifies by, which is low income, low middle income, high middle income, and high income countries. So we did that as sort of a, a relative grouper or, or assumption for the students. So it may not be representative of an individual, right? Because within a certain area, there's, there's variations in income, but that was sort of the best way we could get a snapshot of the students without being too intrusive in, in what kinds of information we were collecting. So we had, you know, we had a, a grouping and it ended up that we didn't really have anything as far as high middle income, which was kind of strange. So we ended up with those three groups, the low, the low middle, and then the high income. And then we created a uh, survey tool to sort of assess some of those outcomes. So it's kind of varied and I don't want to keep talking what Emily talked to. <laughs> Well, no, I think that's that's a really good sort of summary of, of what happened and what we did, Andrew, or what you what you did in terms of the the sort of the survey part. Um, I think you that captures it I, perfectly. That is exactly what we did. That was Andrew's sort of focus in the project. What I did was kind of a little bit before that, and that was to create a lot more podcast content. There was a couple of large courses. We've got some smaller courses. But we had some very large, larger courses that we also used. One of them was um, Understanding Infectious Diseases. It's a very large, it's the biggest cohort that we have, first year cohort for GHID. And I, it's a 10 week course. And I ensured that there were podcasts available for every week of that course, that 10 week course. And then what I also did was to, we also distributed the survey to students on other courses across the GHID and IAH programs for which there was also significant podcast content. And the podcasts themselves, they were sort of varied. They were some guest podcasts that I had on there. Otherwise, they were sort of supplementary podcasts that kind of spanned the material that was delivered that week. And following the course, Andrew then distributed his survey. And that was the best approach that we could we, we, we could really do to adhere to the sort of ethical requirements regarding sort of confidentiality of responses um, of the students, which I mean, I suppose, retrospectively, it's always easy to go back and say, well, maybe we should have done this, and maybe we should have done that. And I do wonder whether maybe retrospectively, we could have maybe tried to get a little, a little bit more information about what the students had access to in terms of technology, because as Andrew said, we've got students might be come from a very low income country, but there's quite a lot of maybe heterogeneity within that country in terms of access to technology and internet, et cetera. In a similar way, in a high income country, you could have a student who lives somewhere that has very poor internet as well. So it's, it's really difficult to, you know, to, to, I guess we might need more students enrolled on a study to really, to really utilize that sort of, that level of granularity within the within the data and the access that students had but you know how often does your electricity cut out how consistent in is your is your broadband how you know those sort of things would be interesting to have found out as well but I don't know whether with terms of this initial study um, it really would have made a huge amount of difference in terms of our analysis but maybe moving forward that might be something that we would think about if we were to repeat the study um, or take it further forward but again it's sort of it's retrospective thoughts really. Yeah, there were some some good points as a as kind of a springboard into something that would be a, a good larger study. You know, you can always refine in experimental design and, and implementation, but there were some nice trends that we did get out of the data, and some of that was respective to the the income level classification of country, and some of it was irrespective. Some of it was course based as well. Um, so I think an important thing to note is that the podcast that, that Emily created for the classes. Uh, we surveyed a few different classes. For most of the classes, it was a supplemental podcast that was not direct course material. There was one class where it was more aligned with the course, if I'm correct on that. Yeah, and that so, was the, yeah, yeah. 
So that ended up meaning that it was, it wasn't like a direct lecture note style of podcast. It's not like, hey, you know, here's a PowerPoint slide, review this material. And this is me talking as if I was talking in person. And so I think it's, it's important to kind of frame that type of podcast and, and what was specifically done in terms of the results. So one thing that, that I saw that was universal is that, that there was a, a positive perception of the podcast. And so I think that was something that was irrespective of you know, country income level. And I think that's something that's a really, I don't know, it's, it's something that's really uplifting, right? To see all the students think, hey, you did this for me as an instructor. And I really felt that it made a difference and it made the class more engaging. And also in the responses, vast majority of the students that responded to the surveys did make use of them, which was interesting. I think it was around 90% of the students had, had access them of that. That responded, obviously, not of all the students. We only got, it was a full response rate, but having that amount say they accessed something that was supplementary was incredible because as an instructor, and maybe this is my bias as teaching at college classes is when you ask for extras like supplementaries, you get sometimes a mixed bag of what you get back. And to see that many students wanting to take advantage of something supplementary, which means really they wanted to connect more with the material, which is really awesome, right? They have a desire and this podcast may be a tool that can meet that desire or, you know, improve that connection to the class. Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well, Andrew. The other thing that was uniform across all the different sort of backgrounds, the country settings and income levels that we that we saw was the fact that the vast majority, I think it was about 90% as well as of the students actually streamed the podcasts. They didn't download them, which is something that we wouldn't was not we were not expecting to see. Because obviously, as I said earlier, one of the things about podcasts is that you can download them and listen to them offline if there's issues with connectivity or you want to listen to a podcast where you're doing some another activity, then the, the benefit of podcasts over a, a live streamed lecture or any sort of streamed lecture is that you can download them, listen to them and do other things because they're just, so you're just listening to them. Um, but all this, most of the students actually stream them online as opposed to download them, which, which was interesting. Um, and also I believe if I'm not incorrect, Andrew, that most of them did so while sat at the desk as well. So they weren't even engaging in other activities which you could do because obviously the literature is full of all these advantages about podcasts and the fact that you can I don't know, clean your house go for a walk do all sorts of other activities and listen to the podcast whereas actually most students actually sat and listened to them at the desk yeah that was really interesting so looking at I say older literature it's not older it's before the mid-2010s so I'm not saying but that that literature had a lot of uh, of findings that suggested that downloading was the preferred mechanism for accessing material. But then when you start to look at more recent literature, you'd see this trend where students were streaming more and more. And so that's not just our study, that's respective of, of some of the literature that I surveyed in my uh, master's dissertation. So we saw that thing and it was kind of interesting to think, right? We, we entered the podcast realm thinking this idea of, hey, you know, they can download it and go wherever with their, their resource for, or if there's intermittent access to internet or to power, hey, they can listen to it anywhere. And then the students turned out to want to just stream it sitting at their desk. So that's kind of, it's, it's really crazy to think about. But then also part of it too, is to think how much of that is influenced by the last few years too, right? So there's, there's COVID-19, there's people being stuck at home. So it's interesting, but is that the reality? So that's something that, that maybe could be explored a little bit further. Uh, I think maybe more people have got sort of, I suppose, data on the go as well. So even, you know, they can, they don't have to download things to listen to them when they have connection. Like everyone, not everyone, obviously, but many people have ongoing connectivity wherever they are. So that might, you know, the sort of development in terms of data availability. But yeah, no, certainly I do think, I think our project was reflective of what the most recent findings in the literature um, have stated, as Andrew said, whereas the, I think then there was that sort of podcasting revolution type thing, you know, following the advent of like iPods and podcasts and everyone got rather excited by everything. And yeah. One, one other thing that we did notice is that the students who are from low-income countries tended to have, or they tended to report they had less exposure or knowledge of podcasts in comparison to the low-middle income and the high-income. Now, this is just a survey, right? Just qualitative, uh, liquid scale, you know, one to five, how do you feel about this? But it was interesting to see that the, the median and the mean of that score was lower in comparison to the other groups. Now, what was also interesting is on that same token, 
those students from that low-income group tended to report a more positive feeling. Now, it wasn't statistically significant, but it was interesting to see that they qualitatively reported they felt you know, a more positive experience with the uh, podcast than some of the other groups. Now, I, I also did notice is that if you filtered some of our, our responses, the students that were, that were in that group tend to be more, oh my gosh, this is wonderful, you did this, I've never seen this before. And then some of the ones of the other groups, they were they responded very positively. All groups did, but they tended to be a little bit more nitpicky. Like, well, you know, you could have add this, or you know, next time add some multimedia, or you know. So it's kind of interesting to see we become connoisseurs, right? So I think the students kind of felt that same way too. <laughs> but what was interesting, Andrew actually did some um, thematic analysis of the free responses and categorize them really nicely. Um, and the two themes that really sort of stood out, um, correct me if I'm not remembering this correctly, Andrew, but I think it was that they were stimulating and they really enhanced sort of connectivity and found that an engagement um, that students really felt more, much more connected to the course because of the podcasts. They, they thought it was, you know, much more interactive than just sort of reading things or, you know, listening to le- or watching lectures online. Yeah, that was a big one. There was a lot of report of connect, feeling a connection to the course organizer. And uh, having been a student through the GHID program, I love the program, but observing Emily's classes or observing the podcast, or I'm not in the class, but seeing the podcast and seeing it in some of the same classes I was enrolled on in, in previous terms, I could feel the, the difference that it added to, to the level of engagement. I mean, I mean who better to, to observe it as someone that's already seen it and then see it again? So I think the students really noticed that too. They picked up on it. They saw this opportunity for them to learn more about what is the expertise of, of my instructor and to know that it's not just someone saying something or regurgitating a book. There's you know, actual connection to reality and they can kind of tease that apart. And you could really feel that in the comments. You know, There's a lot yeah. of, of qualitative feedback that was really, really positive. Yeah, and I think they really enjoyed the guest lectures, which is from a from the person as a course organizer and the person who delivers the, the podcast, the, I think the best podcast, but again, I think this is me being a bit biased. The best podcasts are the ones where I have a guest, where I can ask them about their specific research expertise. Um, and it's always a great way to develop other course materials because it's a it's a sort of an in focus it's a you've learned all this theory now let's go and speak to someone who works on this particular pathogen in the field and have developed vaccines or whatever um and they're the, they're the i think they really do sort of showcase podcasts educational podcasts at their best because they really do enable the student to listen to a conversation between myself and the researcher and yeah they just learn a huge amount more than they would if they went and read that researcher's paper for example unfortunately it can be very difficult to convince people that they need to be in the podcast <laughs> and that they they would they, you know they've got nothing to gain from it really it's like oh please sit down for talk to me for 40 minutes um a lot it, it can be quite difficult to get people to to come around to that idea so you end up usually harnessing the services of people you've previously worked with through other ways so which is but I do also think there's a place for like things like summary lectures and sorry summary podcasts and other ways that you can just talk individually as well on your own and quite often I just chat away about things and and you know I think it really depends on the voice you've got to give yourself and it can't just be reading something out you do need to maybe put a little snippet in there a little you know sometimes it's a bit of opinion sometimes you know sometimes it's a bit of sarcasm but I think again it really just switches on the brain to, to that and you have to be quite careful what you say I don't want to be too biased in the in the podcasts but I think there is a, it is the place to make a little sarky comment every now and again I think I certainly think the students really enjoy the guest ones but it's very unfortunate that they're the ones that can be like trickier to to try and to get I guess what was the one you had oh my gosh you had a guest speaker that one there was one that was so good I watched it a couple of times is it the Lishmania yes yes I love that one yeah I got two from that's Richard Birchmore he's like uh, a colleague at University of Glasgow so I got two out of his (laughs) so um (laughs) But you know what, that was, I don't know whether you've included, but that, I, I did a lecture for his students, a live lecture a few years ago. And I said, well, if you do a live, and so I was like, oh, would you like to do a podcast for me? So that's, it's like a trade-off. <laughs> 
read so I was like oh if you do this for me I'll do this for you and um, so I managed to get one on anasarcosis from him and also the Lishmania one which is brilliant and you know they've really held the test of time as well they actually haven't dated in any way because that information is very general as well we didn't go into you know we don't want to talk about some sound receptor you know for half an hour you know I think everyone would fall asleep you know those ones that are interesting we're talking about parasites we're talking about really sort of impactful diseases and really sort of quirky little I don't know, anecdotes. I think the the things that students remember as well. The, again, they're the things that you would remember from lectures from your undergraduate days when you you know those lectures that the most you got to kind of think what are the most standout lectures that you had as an undergrad and it is always the, the lectures where you had all that extra information those little anecdotes about you know you know sometimes it was completely irrelevant to the main story but there's there's something about those lectures that stay with you and then and you always remember the content much more clearly as well um, so again I think you can capture that so well in podcasts and and again I think that you know th- that was also revealed in the results of the of the study as well that students found it engaging they all this extra little information they found out about things um, and also I guess I think stimulates them to then read the further reading if you put in a few research papers and a few links then you think oh it's really interesting I'm going to click on that link and read a bit more about it and, you know they're going in at about I guess a higher level because they've listened to the podcast and they kind of understood the area a little bit more let's focus on that particular part of the podcast that was of particular interest etc and as I said this was really evident in the results the students felt really engaged really connected to the material and you know the results speak for themselves and 90% of the students enjoyed them and many of them particularly those from the low-income countries would seek out podcast educate you know a health podcast I think that was what you did wasn't it um, Andrew yeah, you specifically it was... asked about health podcasts as well it was not just seek out podcasts in classes, but also outside of the educational setting. So there were a couple of questions where we were trying to tease apart, you know, is this real? Are you just trying to say, oh, great, great podcast. And, and the, they actually were responding, hey, you know, I really want to go and find, you know, uh, podcasts about health and science. I really want to go and find podcasts in my classes. I want to see if I can find someone that's going to give me this information, another modality. So it was really, really striking to see that result. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that I'll, I'll just tease apart from Emily's, Emily's really good points is she mentioned 30 minutes. She mentioned people falling asleep after 30 minutes. That was a really interesting takeaway too, is that a lot of the students really wanted their podcast snippets to be 30 minutes or less. And so I think that's really nice in a conversation because you can short, sort of just short out some perspectives. You know, you start at a level, you're not building up to something, which is what makes lectures take longer as you start here and define, define and define, and then you can start to go. With a podcast, you can jump right into it. So you can get to your point, you can you know, get that, that interesting characteristic across. I, I, this is just totally anecdotal and I'm joking when I say this, but I always like to show something kind of gross to the students to get them engaged, to get them going. They're showing something that's, oh my gosh, that happens. And then you can dive into that. And that's even in a lecture format. And with the podcast, you can really sort of just jump into it and go. And that 10 to 30 minute is kind of that, that hot zone, that, that spot where you can really get the students to be focused and they can walk away and move on. Something else about that 30 minutes as well, though, that is, is actually, I have to say, it's just come to me now when we've been talking about it. Nothing that I actually thought of possibly when we we're actually writing up the project. But all the students, what was it, 90% of the students sat and streamed them at their desk. And I also think that there's something about the 30 minutes there because realistically you're going to zone out if you sat at your desk listening to something for longer than 30 minutes whereas I wonder whether those longer podcasts that we might listen to um, you know other sort of genres like real life crime all those sort of things the sort of something you put on in the car when you're going somewhere and you can you know those really long hour hour and a half multi-episode podcasts they're there they're there for the longer journey when you are really engaged in something else but when you're not engaged in something else and you're sitting down you're learning maybe 30 minutes is about right any longer and you know you're going to start opening up other tabs on your computer and checking your email and you're going to zone out uh, or 30 minutes is a, is a good is, is a good amount less than 30 minutes is a good amount of time for an educational podcast yeah, and, and from the literature uh, or from, from this study, the, the most common response was uh, in, in terms of motivations for the students to listen to the podcast was just really that connection to the, the podcast and to connect to their classmates and to connect to, well, just even have a change from the reading. So having this, this extra stuff just kind of, I don't know, it really allowed them to connect and then to not overload them by not making it so long that they're just like, I need to get up, I need to take a break. 
mm-hmm. right? Because the, the podcast is the break. That's what's yeah. great about that time. No, I also think from a sort of a, a sort of course organizer perspective, when you've got online classes or online courses, you've got a number of them. Some of them might be running at the same time. And, you know, particularly in the in the field of, sort of global health and infectious disease, as we well know, it's a, it's a rapidly changing world. And you're having to kind of keep on top of developments. You know, we had a global pandemic that resulted in, you know, new material having to be sort of drawn in you know a rapid pace as one might imagine and the thing about presenting a course usually you do it by weekly format so week one week two Um, sometimes having different areas within a week sort of more bite-sized is a good way of delivering that particular week I think it's good for the students perspective it means that they can you know obviously a lot of students are working full-time they could be uh, you know have families caring responsibilities all of those and they're doing an online masters as well you know logging on and opening up a document that's going to take two hours to read starting an online lecture that's going to take an hour and a half to watch I mean that's quite a big investment in your time for some people and it might be a little bit better to have smaller bite-sized bits of course material to sort of digest over the course of that week or it might be a case for some students is that they might do small bits every you know every day or so or they might just have one opportunity in the week where they have a day off and that's the day to to do all these different things and I think having it more bite-sized so they could read a paper listen to an introduction then listen to the podcast and have it displayed on learn as as, as small parts and almost have a you know um in brief like a summary of this week these are the things that you know I'd like you to do you know a list of like four or five things small things I think that's I think that's better for the student in some ways. I also think as a course organizer, as an educator delivering that material, it can be a lot, it can be easier to keep on top of the the developments that can occur quite rapidly in the field that you're teaching. So, you know, vaccination, diagnostics, infectious disease, you know, you can incorporate other things and address new developments in 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 an easier way, really, rather than having to record a whole one and a half hour lecture or having to rewrite um, a large document um, having smaller bits to, to update is going to be you're going to be able to keep on top of that a lot more readily and that's going to be a lot more easier to keep on top of especially if you've got lots of courses running at the same time or overlapping etc definitely I think also one thing that that I learned from from some of that is I think during the pandemic when we switched to a lot of online instruction I won't say that happened to everyone but in, in my experience I remember the day where they were like all right next week everything's online figure it out and I remember that that moment the next week, not the panic moment, but I remember the moment where I had to sort of figure out how to convey to the students exactly what my expectations were of them. And you take completely for granted being able to say, oh, hey, hey, go, go do this, by the way. Right. And so when you design an online asynchronous class like the GHID or the IAH classes, it, it traditionally doesn't have that in-person component. So you have to plan for it from the get go. And to sort of have these short snippets of video or short snippets of content, you can even just add something if you're making it relevant. You can say, hey, oh, you know, here's this. And by the way, I added this new, I'm going to add this new supplementary thing for you to read. You know, take a look at this. And so there's this context for the students. And, and I think that helps them to know exactly what they need to do. I don't know, I'm a lister. I need to make lists just so that I can, you know, check them off. That's always the first thing on the list is complete list. Check it off, right? But I think a lot of students, they, they, that extra reminder, hey, do this. So even from an organization standpoint, not even just a content standpoint, it really helps you to organize your course. I actually have a question for you, Andrew, because you came into this as a student, but you're also a, a mid-career professional educator. How did you think, what did you, what did you take away from the project? How has it informed your teaching? I think it's changed it's changed the way that I do some of my online materials. So my classes, most of my classes are what are called hybrid classes and hybrid instructions where you have some in-person and some online because primarily what I teach are uh, undergraduate students in their first two, 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 two to three years of um, undergraduate. And so that's on the US system where it's four year class, right? Not, not finishing, but they're in-person for labs and they're online for their lectures. It really helped me to narrow down the amount of time that I put into my lectures. So now I won't record a video that's a lecture that's more than 15 minutes because I know that my students just, they won't listen to it, right? And that's nothing against me. I don't take it personally. I just know that even watching them myself, I'm like 15 minutes, that's it. 
And then also podcasts. I've, I've had the opportunity to try to finagle interviews out of other people around me and say, hey, you know, you're, you're really good at this. You know, you're just so great at this. Can you tell me about it and tell my students about it? That's, that's the number one way. I don't know if we should put that on the actual podcast. I don't want to give away the secret. But if you, you, know, you gently massage the ego, you tend to get more, what is it that you attract more flies with honey than uh, vinegar? That's, that's the saying, right? Never but no, <laughs> I've never heard it either. That's glorious. I love that. <laughs> so if you, if you do that, you tend to get more people that are more involved. So for example, at, at my level, I teach at one particular campus in a multi-campus uh, district. So there'll be experts that teach the same class that I teach at other campuses. You know, I, I may be really wonderful at one topic, but I know my shortcomings. And that means that maybe I'm not the best at another topic. But if I know the same class instructor somewhere else is the master of that, then that's great. Why not share that information and build it up? And so I think, I think that's something I really took away from it is don't be afraid to ask for someone else's input and don't be afraid to ask for someone else's story because someone else's story may engage better than your own. But I'm not saying that I don't have wonderful stories. I, I think I do, but now I'm, now I'm just getting defensive apparently. But I think that it's, it's great to be able to share more stories with students because the more perspectives you put into it, the more likely you are to get some Netflix. And you know, maybe that's a student's background. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's their, uh, the way they were raised. Maybe that's where they come from. Maybe that's age, maybe that's experience. Right. The more different perspectives you get on something, the more likely you are to get it to click. So I think I think that's something I really took away from it. I'm glad. I'm glad it's informed your teaching the project. <laughs> Definitely informed mine as well and developed it, that's for sure. So many thoughts have been coming to mind. I've been slightly holding my tongue because I didn't oh, want to interrupt. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> I knew that when we get started, we wouldn't be we wouldn't shut up. <laughs> no, this has been amazing. Just a few things that are just coming to my mind. First off, I I love the idea of the teacher or professor playing the role of the interviewer because I think that there can become this dynamic in educative environments where the teacher or professor is seen as this all-knowing being and the student can be quite intimidated by that. So then getting to see a professor be so curious as well with the connection aspect about that. I've always felt really connected via podcasts and I've always wondered like, is it their conversational nature? Is it just that I have something so accessible? So I guess I was also wondering if you guys have any comments on that. Like what, what do you think makes podcasts so connective? I was gonna say it kind of like ties up with your first thing you said to Eric about listening to your to the lecturer or professor talking and in, in a, I guess, in an inquisitive way, asking questions, because there's always this dynamic in the lecture theatre that, as you say, the lecturer knows everything and the students don't. And I, 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 you know, I don't really, I don't really, I get, it's really interesting to hear the students' perspective on that, because I really don't feel like I know everything. I, maybe that's a bit of imposter syndrome or, or something I don't know, but I certainly, I think sometimes the more you learn and the more you research, the more you reveal how little you know and how much more you need to, to research and how and how vast it all is. I think as an educator, I think it's about communicating to the students and educating the students as to how to find the answers if they do have the question and how to utilise the information, the literature uh, to the best effect to address any sort of questions and just develop their knowledge and understanding on the area. Um, so I certainly don't feel like that when you're doing a lecture that you know everything, which, yeah, no, but I certainly think from a podcasting point of view, I think it's nice that students do understand that, yeah, no, we're asking questions. I've got this research coming along, you know, and also it kind of like, I don't know, does it make students understand how we get the information for the materials that we deliver, you know, I didn't do all that research. I didn't go and do all those lab projects. I didn't formulate all these research questions and get all the grants and write these papers. Other people did. All these people who are very, they're experts in their particular area. And what I did is I asked, the, I went to the research, I went to those people, same people who you're asking the questions of in a podcast. I went to the papers and I read all their different papers and I sort of distilled all the information and I converted it into a lecture to, 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 to educate the students. 
but that, I suppose that's a sort of more of an in-person, it's more of like a, what's the word, a, a very overt way of doing it. So I have the, a research in front of me. I was like, you know, why Lishmania? Why is this really important? Why do we need new vaccines? What's this? What's that? You know, you're asking the question, the person's just kind of telling you more quite generally. So maybe does it, does it give a transparency to maybe the scientific process and scientific education maybe that, you know, that students wouldn't otherwise maybe understand quite so well? I think as an educator, one of the hardest things to do is to get students to feel comfortable asking the question, because asking a question requires critical analysis, and critical analysis is hard. It's meant to be, right? And so I think if you have someone standing on a stage telling you what you should know and telling you what you should think, it's boring. Sure, maybe you'll absorb some of it, but I think when you have podcasts and you have those more informal interviews, so informality, I think, is a part of it, too because informality induces approachability, which induces more engagement. But I think when you have those conversational podcasts, those expert podcasts, you hear the intricacies of how someone's mind works and what led them to something that may be obscure. I mean, how does someone end up wanting to know that specific thing about that particular disease? And it doesn't have to just be about science, it could be about really anything, but to get someone to want to get to that detail, you had to dive down some rabbit holes, right? And so how do you get the students to feel comfortable to look for their holes that they need to dive down to look for information and then guiding them to find what is good information? Uh, sometimes I, I tell my students that every sentence in the textbook is someone's life work, right? Because it's it basically is. You know, someone spent years and years and years writing and it's boiled down to this one sentence that says, this is this. And so you have to really be able to kind of extrapolate what led you to that or what got you to that point. I also think that's one of the things that can happen in a guest podcast as well, is that when somebody's asking a question, they kind of frame it as, you know, the question they asked themselves initially. So it's like, oh, we didn't understand why this happened. So we did this, this and this to try and address that question, you know, and then they say, then we still don't understand why some people did this. So we address that question by doing this this and this and it kind of develops like that and you know really you're covering how many papers in the in the course of a, of, of a guest podcast where they're discussing all these different elements they've brought in so many different areas and backgrounds and kind of covered the whole area from you know from from the initial research area right through to the latest development they can kind of cover so much and it kind of just it, again it makes it transparent but I also think it kind of breaks down the research process for the student as well you know that this you know this area was really lacking we didn't understand why we had this and why this was happening so we did this listening to people and understanding why people did what they did and why they did it and what the results of those studies were and you know how that and, and also that's also then fitted into a wider context as well of understanding and yeah it's like Andrew said earlier it's like you know but certainly some of the areas that I've taught on across the programs there's a lot of immunology and immunology it's so dry as an educator it's just like how can I make this interesting we, the things that we can make interesting, you can like, kind of take a really applied approach. And, you know, and if you can then get people in and talk about those things and sort of say it out loud, you know, this is a really interesting, you know, modulator because it does this, this and this, and we can measure it in these scenarios. And again, talking about it, um, it can just make some areas that we, we do have to kind of cover them. We do need to be aware of them, but it can just make, you know, you can deliver that and you can share that with the students in a way that is as engaging as it possibly can be. If you give someone the sort of educational equivalent of an immunology textbook, I couldn't get past the first two pages and I don't can't really expect the students to do so. So you do have to kind of break it down, bite size, interesting, engaging. And, and certainly podcasts are a great way of doing that. And I think not just the, the results of this study, but that's evident in across the wider literature as well. But, you know, I think what's really good and what really stimulates us to keep going is the fact that you get all this often and frequently after every course, this unsolicited feedback from students to so just send you an email saying how wonderful they found the podcast podcast I mean that had been happening for years before this project you know oh thank you really love the course podcasts are amazing and that kept happening again and again and again and I thought that's why I was like right I need to capture all this positive feedback and it was very forthcoming when we did solicit for the information in the form of this survey and the results were brilliant as Andrew said you know everyone felt very connected they felt you know engaged and stimulated by the podcasts and it meant that they were then going to click through and read a paper that 
otherwise they might not have been stimulated to do so so yeah it's overall it's been an excellent project and I'm, I know I'm coming from a very biased standpoint here but I do think it's been a really good project I think I would like to think that it might stimulate colleagues to pick you know pick it up a little bit and have a shot at doing some podcasts I mean I don't know Eric you're a student I mean have you ever been on a course that's had podcasts Unfortunately, I have not, but I I think that may be partially due to being a mathematics and statistics student. Okay. Um, Though that is something that could be podcasted about, and I would actually love it if the information felt a bit more accessible, because sometimes you're staring at all this notation and you're just like, how am I going to learn this? But thankfully, we have noticed a lot of changes, like to smaller bite-sized videos kind of like we were talking about earlier, which has been really, really awesome and made my degree so much, I'm not going to say easier, but feels more accessible, which I've really enjoyed. So unfortunately, I haven't seen podcasts in education like that, but we have gotten a lot of feedback on the podcast that we release through Teaching Matters. We did this collaboration with Race Ed before I took this post. So basically it's a decolonizing the curriculum series But the posts, the episodes when they release, they're kind of released almost like a course where you have recommended readings and strands to find afterwards. And we've gotten really, really positive feedback on that. So we've been trying to like move our content to be almost more course-like in that way where people reading the blog post can click links and learn more about the things mentioned in the episode, which just backs what you guys were talking about earlier, where people who were listening to the podcast were found to be more interested in delving further into the topic, which I think is just a really beautiful thing. Thank you to our contributors. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Teaching Matters podcast. Make sure to check out the upcoming second and final part of Emily, Andrew and Eric's conversation, where our three speakers discuss the ins and outs of podcasting more broadly, breaking down the different kinds of podcasts that could find a home in your classroom. Teaching Matters is brought to you by the University of Edinburgh's Institute for Academic Development. For more posts and conversations about teaching and learning, head to our blog, We'd be delighted for you to join these conversations. To do so, just email us at teachingmatters at ed.ac.uk. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider following us on Spotify or subscribing on Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review. Music for this episode was provided by Hook Sounds. In the meantime, stay curious.